Welcome to Fick Focus, where Bloomberg Intelligence fixed income, credit currency, and commodity strategists and analysts discuss their short and long-term views on debt markets and issuers. Now, here's the Bloomberg Intelligence Fick Research Team. Good afternoon. I'm Eric Kazatsky, Head of Municipal Strategy here at Bloomberg Intelligence, and joined as always by my associate, Karen Altamirano. Depending on who you ask, munis are either having a banner 2023, given the macro landscape, or it's death by a thousand paper cuts. Assuming the year is somewhat in between those two extremes, that means there's still plenty of opportunity sets within the municipal space that are worth exploring. An easy one to point out is to just hide out in cash equivalents, such as tax-exempt money market funds, which, for the moment, can yield in the mid-fives on a taxable equivalent basis. Harder decisions come in exploring what portion of the curve makes the most sense, and more importantly, how far down the credit stack to venture. Here today to talk to us about their approach, managing both of these choices within portfolios, are Matt Dalton, Chief Executive Officer and CIO of Bellhaven Investments. And Matt is also joined by Dora Lee, Bellhaven's Director of Research. Welcome, guys. Thank you, Eric. We're glad to be here. So I think the question I would love to start off with today, you know, what was 2022 like for Bellhaven? It's like the uh, same thing as it was for uh, most everybody in our asset class. It was a pretty rough year. Uh, you know, the broker-dealer community uh, got hit pretty hard, and we, for the most part, uh, saw uh, some outflows. Um, it looked like the ETFs uh, picked up most of that, uh, but it was a dismal year uh, for everybody involved for the most part. I mean, you blame that solely on rates or do you think that was like structure of portfolios? I think, uh, you know, it, it's just the decline in value. You know, it starts with the uh, mutual funds because they uh, set that NAV every day. And the fear that uh, everybody uh, had with the Fed raising rates uh, they just wanted to uh, uh, to walk away, get away, take the losses uh, if, if they could. Um, so I don't. Uh, it's a combination of rates and uh, the uh, policies that were being uh, put to work by the uh, the Fed. I mean, it's a good point, you know. And and obviously, this week um, we have a FOMC meeting. You know, what's your thought on how much further the Fed has to go or is willing to go at this point? Well, you know, it looks like it's baked in for 25 uh, with a lot of talk about uh, uh, taking a pause in here. Um, You know, we don't have much of a view other than what we do enjoy about the atmosphere that we have right now is that you find a lot of uh, value and uh, opportunistic uh, situations when uh, everybody is kind of uh, staying in cash and worried and waiting for the Fed to give an all clear. Um, so we, we don't uh, challenge the fact that they'll probably raise. Um, it'll be like it has been for some time. It's really about the language after the event and uh, the questions that Powell uh, uh, takes uh, at the podium. Hey, Matt and thank you again for joining us. So how do you see, uh, sticking with performance and, and how 2022 was, I think it's a good segue into, how do you see 2023 going so far? How has it been different? 
Well, it's different because it's not 2022. Um, <laughs> very obvious answer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it should be a better year for uh, fixed income uh, investors uh, in the uh, muni space for sure. Um, but there's still a lot of, uh, I, I call them little uh, black swans that uh, could roll across the stage and uh, upset uh, the apple cart uh, as we see it here today. You know, supply and demand is one of the issues that we're all dealing with. Um, but if the FDIC is going to be auctioning off bank assets uh, every month, we may, yeah. uh, we may get more supply than we bargained for. Uh, due, to, due to that. You know, you beat me to the punch because I had that on my list of questions. You know, obviously sort of this like sort of Damocles has been hanging over the market for the last several weeks has been this Signature Valley bank portfolio, right? Seven billion immunities, most of them in, in you know, not really love structure. Um, you know, ha isn't much of the pricing of that portfolio sort of already baked in to a degree. I think the, the worry is that there's going to be really deep concessions when and if that comes to the market. Um, but I, I have my doubts. What is your thought? Well, I think uh, yeah, I think they will see uh, deep concessions. As you mentioned, Eric, none of that stuff has very good structure to it. The coupons are small. Um, so you've got the after-tax to, to worry about there. Um, but it does have to find a home. So. We would expect uh, that it will apply pressure, and I think it will take some discounts to move that stuff. It's been a long time. Uh, it's been since uh, 2009, 2010, since we've seen the FDIC active in auctioning off a portfolio like this. Um, you know, I, I just think it's a much different environment uh, today than uh, it was then. And nobody really knows the depth of. Uh, of the bank failures ahead of us, um, I, I we're definitely on the side that uh, there will be more. Uh, this is not done. Um, we think that we will see uh, uh, more banks fail uh, as we see the recession kick in and take hold. You've got the commercial mortgage bonds that are going to be a big problem on a lot of their balance sheets, also. So. Um, too early to get too uh, excited about the uh, banks in here. No, I, I agree. I mean, do you think the market dodged somewhat of a bullet with, um, you know, the FDIC's ability to place First Republic with J.P. Morgan? Yeah. Well, that's a great question, Eric. I don't know if we dodged a bullet or not. You know, again, um, you know, it, it's just yet to be seen what the Fed's attitude towards the bank uh uh, the banks being uh, taken over like they have been already and to see what their thought process and outlook is on it. Um, you know, again, um, that adds more worry into the uh, marketplace and that's a great time to uh, be involved is when people are still, still fearful, worried about what's going to happen. Uh, you know, Warren Buffett's taught us all that uh, you buy when people are fearful. And um, yeah. so we do have that environment and that environment could get a little worse uh, before it gets better. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it is a good time to be uh, in there and involved. 
Yeah. How have flows been for you know your various strategies, and we'll, we'll sort of dive into you know some of those individually. But I guess what I'm trying to flesh out is you know have you seen an overt positive flow to one strategy in particular? No, it's been uh, it's been pretty well balanced uh, across the board for us uh, in the SMA strategies. Now, uh, the mutual funds that we manage on behalf of Transamerica. Um, they have, you know, they've seen the outflows that everybody else has, has really seen in the mutual fund space. I mean, do you think they're still suffering from that, I guess, like mindset investor move to more of a cheaper beta option? Um, I would assume yeah. the fees on the mutual funds are higher. Uh, you know, I don't think it's about the fees. I, you know, Transamerica has done a good job of uh, being very competitive <laughs> with their fees. Now, you know, there are many mutual funds out there that are much more expensive, obviously. So, uh, you know, what you're talking about uh, uh, has something to do with it. But, you know, I was on the road uh, last week and the week before that talking to clients. And, and the focus at the client level or the retail level is still uh, the banks, the Fed. And, oh, my gosh, I can get over 4% on a six-month uh, treasury uh, bond or bill. Why or wouldn't CDs. I just, yeah. yeah. Why wouldn't I just do that all day long? Um, yeah. You know. So a lot. There's. I think there's a ton of cash out there. It's just tucked in short. It could be in money market funds. It's in a lot of treasury bills everywhere I turn. I see corporations just dumping into that short range and uh, looking to be safe, looking to have liquidity. Um, yeah. But it's still Fed and bank. Uh, issues that, that seem to garner all the attention out there uh, currently. Those are the questions I get asked uh, the most when I am on the road. Um, so speaking of the money market funds, can you talk to us a little bit about your cash management strategy and how that's faring uh, with the competition we're seeing from the money? Yeah, it's an SMA strategy. Um, it's not in a fun format, uh, but again, we've seen a fair amount of flows into that due to the fact that uh, uh, high net worth individuals, um, foundations, uh, corporations um, are pulling out of some of the regional banks and uh, looking for a cash management solve like this um, uh, that we offer. Uh, you know, who knows where these rates are going to be a year from now. That's the uh, unfortunate part of investing so short is that what looks good today may not be as uh, attractive uh, tomorrow. And I point to those I-bonds that everybody was raving about uh, two months ago. Uh, you know, those have been knocked down pretty good. Uh, you know, so uh, I, call it a te I call it a teaser rate. Uh, and that's what's going on in the short end of the curve is you're being teased into uh, uh, moving uh, your money down there. And uh, uh, again, the downside of that is a year from now, you may wish you had pushed it out into a uh, five-year, seven-year type of a structure within a portfolio to lock in what you can get today. Our, our short memory spans, forget about the 12 years of uh, zero interest policy uh, and everybody moaning about not being able to find any yields, so they ended up buying preferreds and uh, you know dividend uh, stocks to compensate for it. 
Look, I think if everybody had the opportunity to go back in time, they would certainly, you know, one of the stops would be September of last year and just load up on munis. And, you know, I think I mentioned this on, on previous podcasts and Karen, and I have discussed this offline is how surprising it was that there wasn't just like more of a yield grab at that time. And, you know, do you think that there's just like a general reticence when people see a spike in rates? Well, when they see a spike in rates, yeah, you know, they don't, uh, they don't react uh, uh, well to a spike in rates. Um, at the client level, uh, none of them favor seeing uh, a, a bond worth less than what they paid for it. And they get so tunnel visioned on that that they forget that uh, higher rates means better opportunity for the interest that I'm earning today and the extra, you know, this, the cash I have on reserve to uh, put to work. Um, so when rates spike, they seem to pull away, and when uh, uh, prices spike, they seem to want to get involved. Uh, it's just the DNA of the uh, the human investor for the most part. Well, that's very true. Yeah, not just munis where that happens. Yeah. Um, one question I have for you: Are are you using any floating rate products within the cash management strategy? Um, we have used it in the past, Karen, but we currently don't have any floating rate uh, paper in there now. We have uh, uh, looked to lock in just a little bit longer. We favor that uh, uh, two to eight month range in the T-bill T window right now. And, um, you know, again, why not lock in here instead of sitting with a floating rate uh, instrument? If you're not worried about rates going much higher than this, uh, last thing you'd want is something that resets uh, every seven days or 30 days or even daily. Um, you know, it's a little bit of overkill. Yeah, yeah. and that's been the main argument against the, like, let's say, like the Vanguard Money Market Fund, right? It may be 3.5% this week, but as you look at a chart of SIFMA over the last two months, right, you just vacillations up and down. It was within the cash management strategy, and, and not even just that, within broader strategies, a lot of SMAs. They, they don't have the ability to flip back and forth between taxables and exempts. It seems like you guys have that option. Yeah, we're highly customizable, Eric. We, uh, we're here to help solve for whatever the advisor and the client is looking to solve for. So, um, you know, uh, we get a lot of best bond mandates, uh, you know, tax efficient uh, mandates where we have the ability to uh, to go taxable or tax exempt, depending on what we're able to uncover on a daily uh, or weekly basis. I mean, I would imagine that flexibility serves you really well in times of ratios looking extremely rich, like we saw for much of last year. Are there any downsides to that sort of strategy? You know, obviously, like, it, you know, from a traditional muni investing standpoint, it's hard to wrap your brain around the fact that you might have a taxable instrument inside a, you know, it's supposed to be a tax efficient vehicle. Yeah, but again, you know, depending on what each individual need is, you, you solve for it and you can uh, bring that in as a tax exempt uh, strategy or taxable strategy or the best of both. Um, so that's something that's uh, uh, figured out early before you, uh, you get involved with the investment part of it. And is there still room for growth in SMAs? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we've seen uh, decent uh, inflows, and I think, uh, you know, you still have a lot of, I call them the baby boomers, uh, that like to transact, but they are slowly but surely uh, headed to retirement and, 
uh, most of those transactional uh, types of advisors uh, end up uh, going SMA. So uh, SMA is still a very important part of this business um, versus uh, mutual funds and ETFs. Um, so there, there's still a place uh, for them. And, and, you know, again, knock on wood, we've seen positive lows throughout uh, uh, all of this uh, from, uh, you know, the COVID through to uh, the bank failures and Fed raising rates. You know, you, you brought up a point about the baby boomers, and I think that's what most people sort of envision as the traditional muni investor, right? The the nice gray-haired lady or man. Um, but have you seen a, a slight shift uh, as far as younger age cohorts coming into this space to offset some of their taxable income at all? I, I wouldn't say that I've seen it um, to the point where uh, a trend is being uh, established, um, but I, I guess I haven't uh, discriminated on age at all. Uh, you know, the AUM's AUM, <laughs> you know, whether it's a, a 30-year-old or a 80-year-old. Um, but now I haven't seen a trend there, Eric. You, you guys might know better with all the technology at Bloomberg that you have. Oh, I wish we had that kind of insight, Matt. No, we rely on we rely on money managers like yourself to, to tell us what's really going on outside these walls. So let's pivot over to credit. Um, we know that many states and local local governments have benefited from persistent inflation in the terms with of uh, seeing record revenues still coming in. So far, what we've seen is some states still um, seeing some of that revenue growth but it is starting to slow down. So my question for you, or for Dora in this case, um, or either of you really, will, will record balance sheets provide enough insulation to withstand the, the slowing economy? Yeah, so, you know, I think the states have done a very good job of hoarding the federal funds and, and, the, and the revenue windfalls from the, from the, throughout the pandemic to give them a lot of runway uh, for this recession. The big lessons learned from the last recession was that they couldn't rely on the federal government and you have to act quickly um, to, to stem any, uh, to you know, deal with the recession as, as you're coming. Uh, so they definitely have, they definitely learned their lessons. I think the recent upgrades from the you know, the so-called poster children of of stress states of Illinois and New Jersey kind of speak to how um, how how they've managed through through the last two years in preparation of not having a supportive federal uh, federal government um, into the recession. Okay, so your outlook is more or less continues to be positive on the credit side, you would say. Yeah, you know that you know we think that that state and local governments are going to be strong. That's not to say that they won't they won't have some contentious budget battles. They're going to have to make some hard choices uh, for this year and 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 the next several years, most likely. But they've. Uh, so far, management teams have have demonstrated that they've learned the lessons from from the Great Recession and um, are are so far avoiding um, avoiding a lot of the pitfalls, like you know, 
deficit financing, um, you know, not funding their pensions. They're still they're still trying to uh, you know operate on the straight and narrow, so to say. Yeah. You know, having been a competitor of you guys in a past life, I always dreaded seeing like Bellhaven portfolios come in when people try to compare performance because I knew the secret sauce there was like playing in credit and really where I was, it really wasn't something that we did. But I always sort of viewed it as like a superpower for you guys because you're able to sort of like really go down the credit stack. You know, talk to us about how that's been navigable during the pandemic, you know, away from like, you know, just the, I would say like, bad credit light stuff like, you know, Illinois, New Jersey, I mean, like sort of getting more down in the weeds. Yeah. So, you know, getting really down in the weeds in the high yield space, we've definitely seen um, the, the, the credits that were struggling before the pandemic, the, all those forces accelerated once the pandemic hit. If you were struggling before you were really struggling now. And I think, you know, the the amount of credits that have defaulted or have, you know, tripped um, uh, in covenants and are in workout, they, um, these were credits that had warning signs before the pandemic. You can see they were, you know, low on liquidity, tied on coverage going into the, into, into the pandemic with not a lot of margin for error. And, um, those were the first to to get tripped up. Well, so like specifically, what kind of credits are you guys looking at, or what's been favorable um, as far as from a risk uh, reward standpoint? You know, from the risk reward standpoint, I think if you are careful and and do your do your homework, the uh, there are still some healthcare names that have weathered the storm and are seeing stronger recovery than some other types of healthcare names. Mm -hmm. um, and I think charter schools, you know, are, are definitely a sector that, that has, that has clearly weathered the storm and has in some cases and some areas benefited from, from yeah. a dissatis dissatisfaction from public schools and are enrolling more in charter schools for, to give their, uh, parents can want that kind of flexibility for their children. So, you know, we expect uh, the charter school segment in particular, just given their funding model and um, and the current trends to to be particularly resilient uh, through through the recession. Yeah, that's a very good point. I mean, I guess the only thing really there to contend with is, re you know, renewal risk, which you just really can't avoid in that space altogether. You know, are there any other areas that you guys are focusing on as we sort of head into a recessionary period and we sort of transition away from, I guess, let's call it the pandemic period? Yeah. So, you know, as we were going through the pandemic, you know, the, the typical names that were hit by travel, um, such as toll roads and airports, you know, those we thought would have um, experienced a lot of stress. But as we come out of the recession, come out of the pandemic phase and go into the recession phase, you know, um, those credits have seen their resiliency um, both through uh, federal, um, federal aid during the pandemic, but then also a recovery and, and uh, in some areas and for some credits, a very rapid recovery uh, in either, you know, traffic patterns for toll roads or employment for, for airports. 
What are some of the pockets of uh, weakness and credits that concern you that or that you may be avoiding altogether? Yeah, so so some pockets of weakness uh, that I'm looking at are are the are situations where management is either late to the game or they're constantly hoping that the recession might not be as mild or, or might not be as, you know, um, as deep as, as other people are saying, I, what I'm really concerned about heading into the recession is how will management react at the end of the day? Are they showing signs that they're on top of their, um, on top of their revenue forecast on top of their, uh, uh cost cutting and, and adjusting appropriately? Um, or, are they going to, you know, wait out quarter after quarter until it's too late to uh, to right the ship with with um, with small actions and and you're faced with very large, very sudden cuts? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I want to pivot a little bit away from credit and just sort of bring the conversation back to structure. And I think Matt touched on earlier, you know, with the Signature Valley portfolio that, you know, obviously low coupon structures are, are, are not in vogue. Um, some of that has to do with interest rates just broadly rising. But, you know, Matt, I guess, where are you guys focusing on from a structure standpoint, whether that be from a maturity standpoint or callables, you know, what what is something that you guys are focusing on? Yeah, there's a couple areas. We like the we like the short calls, 24 and shorter, um, and then we like 28 and longer. Uh, unfortunately, uh, since the uh, tax law changed, uh, a lot of these municipalities haven't been able to pre-refund out to 25, 26, 27, and, and really t- clean that area up. So you have a, from what I see on a daily basis, a fair amount of the the uh, 25 to 27 call range, um, which, you know, you get some negative convexity off of some of that, and it just doesn't uh, work that well. So uh, we've been looking for a little longer call and a very short call uh, to deploy uh, money into here recently. I mean, do you think there's any hope of the advanced funding is coming back at all. I know there's been increased chatter over the last several months. And, you know, it, it seems like every year this, you know, they, they sort of start this talk again about bringing it back. You know, obviously the market's you know pretty efficient and we've managed to move on without it. But mm-hmm. you know, what, what is your thought there? Well, my thought is if I bet one way or the other, I'm going to lose. So <clears throat> I, would, I would say that eventually some sometime somewhere, uh, they'll uh, they'll lift that uh, uh, that bill and, and and change the law, and they have to go back to allow them. Now, what it has done, as you know, is help the taxable municipal space grow um, as during the uh, the twelve years of this uh, zero interest rate policy, there was savings to be had uh, issuing taxable municipal debt to refund tax exempt uh, debt. Uh, and we've all seen uh, a fair amount of that. So it has helped growth in one area of the municipal bond market at the expense of the other. And that's the uh, taxable municipal space, which continues to, uh, to be found by uh, investors uh, that didn't realize these things even existed. Are there still investors out there who, who just had no clue at this point? 
Well, you know, if you if you get in front of a, a room of 100 people and you ask them if they know what a municipal bond is, uh, 99% of them will say, yeah, it's tax exempt and, you know, yada, yada, yada. When yeah. they hear a taxable municipal bond, they, they, for whatever reason, instantly think, well, that's high yield. That's not something I want to play with. Mm-hmm. Um, there, you know, there's just not a great understanding out there that uh, there are tax exempt, uh, unlimited tax state GOs. Uh, yeah. There. Um, so it's really an education process to get people to uh, see this. And uh, there's been a, a pretty heavy push as the supply continues to uh, to come uh, in that arena. I mean, we're almost approaching uh, a trillion dollars worth of, uh, taxable municipal bonds. So, um, it's come a long way since, the uh, the build America bond program in 09, 10 and 11. No, I, I don't disagree with that. I think the biggest challenge is supply, right? Just like we're seeing in the exempt space, you have two strategies that, um, you know, focus on using taxable munis. So, yes. I mean, talk to us yeah. a little bit about how that's been, um, you know, trying to, I guess, build those strategies out amid a supply environment where you're down like 40% year over year, though. Well, yeah, you're, uh, you know, we, there is still plenty of supply out there. Uh, in the secondary for this stuff. And again, as you have uh, uh, banks rolling out of uh, uh, investments and some insurance companies have been active over the last uh, quarter, um, it pumps more of that into the space. But uh, our taxable uh, offerings utilize corporates, agencies, treasuries, and taxable munis. Um, corporates kind of keep us uh, awake at night right now. I mean, going into a recession, uh, we think that the corporate bond market will be under uh, some duress, and we think uh, clients are better served being in taxable munis currently. Um, you're getting uh, a safer instrument. Um, the volatility is not uh, as crazy as it can be in the corporate space. And, you know, corporates can change overnight. We've seen that time and time again. Uh, your taxable municipal bonds don't change like that overnight. Uh, you're looking at the budget from year to year and um, uh, just much easier to uh, to stay on top of. They are over-the-counter traded, so there's a lot of opportunity there uh, versus exchange-traded corporates. Um so we've we found a lot of value. They they worked very well uh, over the last several years um, uh, versus what you would have uh, done in the uh, um, you know the Bloomberg uh, Barclays Ag. Um, they they have been uh, a little jewel in the rough for sure. I a hundred percent. I mean, and then they're nice, right? The, from a correlation yes. standpoint, high correlation to treasury. So they enjoy the same move, uh, low yes. correlation to corporate. So they don't have the same risk basket. And it's, it's, it's a nice trade-off there for investors. And, you know, every time you get a chance to educate somebody on these, um, it becomes a new sleeve for a lot of, uh, uh, investors out there, uh, who realize that the, these can be used in their 401ks. They could be used for, uh, foundations and, uh, and on and on that list goes. Yeah. We saw, you know, while we were poking around your website, we saw that you don't invest in AMT bonds at all. Can you walk, is that something you walk us through? Yeah, you know, most high net worth investors are subject to AMT. Um, 
we just like to uh, to stay clean on those. We don't find them as uh, uh, as valuable as uh, a lot of our uh, competitors might. Um, um, so we we like to just keep AMT out of the picture. We can find plenty of things to do um, and keep that uh, uh, income uh, away from the uh, tax man as much as possible on the uh, tax exempt side. Do you think that's one of the things that will um, you know obviously like the the 2025 sunset uh, provisions are, are fast approaching regard to AMT. Is that one of the reasons you're sort of steering clear? No, not, you know, not even that, uh, not putting that much intelligence into it, Eric. It's just something <laughs> that, uh, um, All right, sure. <laughs> you know, we like to keep it simple and easy. I don't, have, I don't, have, I can look at a portfolio and say, yep, there's no AMT uh, involved there. <laughs> okay. You're selling vanilla and chocolate. I like it. So, Talk to us about the three to 17 year ladder. Um, you know, like obviously like with so much of the yield curve right now because of the inversion being sort of tucked in inside the front end. I mean, I would think that that's a win right now. Well, you know, you can say it's a three to 17 year ladder, but if we see something in a one or two year, that's just, you just can't turn away from, uh, it'll go into that strategy. But for the most part, uh, the three to seventeen uh, ladder was something that was birthed during that uh, low interest rate time in the in the front end of the curve. Um, what that ladder does, going out seventeen years, it really uh, uh, allows you to capture eighty five percent of the curve uh, in a normal market without needing to stretch out um, another ten years to get a little pickup for it. So. It's a great total return type of a laddered structure, and we're very opportunistic on all of our uh, ladders. We are not uh, a passive uh, um, manager at all. So you mentioned, you know, obviously, like we talked about the recession. We talked about uh, slowdown in corporate credit. You know, obviously, the other thing that jumps to my mind is commercial real estate. You know, you guys are outside of the city. Um, you have a different perspective on, you know, I would say commercial real estate when it comes to suburban growth and those actually going back to the office, you know, what's your take from, you know, out in Rye? Yeah. You know, um, we are concerned about the commercial, uh, real estate for sure. Um, you know, we're seeing, uh, numbers, uh, vacancy numbers are larger than they were in 09. Um, I think it's something that's going to continue to, uh, decline in value. And a lot of these uh, loans uh, will be coming up for renewals soon. So, and that's the other fear that we have in the corporate bond market is you have so many companies that uh, raised a lot of cash in the uh, uh, a great uh, low interest rate environment when cash was easy to get, and they're going to come up. They're going to come up on that three year. Uh, bullet that they issued and need to refinance that. And this market just may not may not have the legs uh, to do it. Um, and once you get a knock-on effect like that and some of these uh, passive indexers, uh, you know, bond goes from uh, investment grade to uh, to junk or BAA plus, it's got to come out of the index. And if it's coming out of the index, it's got to be sold by the uh, manager. Um, so I think there's a lot of knock-on effects. And that's why we have uh, really moved to higher ground uh, in the taxable meaning space versus just sitting there 
uh, and staring at uh, corporate positions that uh, could deteriorate very quickly on you. Um, and, you know, you'd want to be ahead of that. And we feel like we're positioned well for that type of a scenario to play out. Can you talk to us about what your big picture opportunity over the next 18, 18 months or so is? Yeah, it's a lot happening over the next 18 months. An election, that's a big one. Yeah, <laughs> it is a big one. The Fed cutting rates, uh, that's another one that's, uh, I, I would say, is uh, definitely uh, plausible. Um, you know, we think that uh, once the Fed's done and they do start cutting rates, the curve will start to correct itself. And we see the best value right now in that uh, uh, 12 to 15, 12 to 16 year uh, maturity on the curve for tax exempts currently. So uh, we've been uh, advising uh, clients and advisors to uh, take advantage of that. And it, it takes some uh, selling on that because if they continue to look down there in that one and two year range and, and try to figure out why they shouldn't just be there. Um, but they get it. They've been around the block. They've gone through that uh, low interest rate period. Locking into them, locking in means uh, much more to them today than it, uh, it did two or three years ago. All right. And here's a question that I would ask anyone who's based out of New York. You know, obviously you guys aren't in the city, but you probably have an opinion either way. What's your thought on the state constantly subsidizing uh, New York MTA? You know, obviously that was something that was just in the news. Seems to be an annual event at this point. No, well, you're, you're going right out with the MTAs. It's not a credit we currently buy unless it's uh, insured. Um, yeah, you know, you can debate all day long as to whether uh, uh, it's a credit concern or not, uh, since it's appropriated debt for the most part. But, you know, I don't know that clients need that stress. Um, you know, every time you open a paper uh, or CNBC rolls out with the uh, uh, you know, the deficits that are brewing there and, and uh, the problems that they're having keeping the uh, systems up and running and, and current, um, I just don't think it's worthwhile for a client to have that in their portfolio. You're not getting paid for the, uh, the headline risk uh, there at all. Um, so that's a situation where we just have made a decision not to uh, utilize uh, that credit portfolios. It's just not needed. Um, there's yeah. so many other things that you can do. You do not have to take a stand and, and uh, uh, you know, it, it's not an ego thing. It shouldn't be an ego thing. Um, you know, if you're the retired uh, investor and you've spent uh, 30 or 40 years uh, building the fortune and you're looking for it to just be safe and you want to sleep at night, uh, MTA is not the uh, recipe for that. All right. I appreciate the candid answer. Uh, Matt Dalton, Dorley, thank you so much for joining us uh, on this latest episode. Really appreciate it. Bloomberg Intelligence is a service provided by Bloomberg Finance LP and its affiliates. This recording does not constitute, nor should it be construed as investment advice, investment recommendations, or a recommendation as to an investment or other strategy. Bloomberg Intelligence should not be considered as information sufficient upon which to base an investment decision. Neither Bloomberg Finance LP nor any of its affiliates makes any representation or 
warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the information contained in this recording and any liability as a result of this recording is expressly disclaimed.